right. Hey, I'm Andrew Wyatt, co-founder CEO of Kala. And Kala is a fashion operating system. It's a new way for fashion brands to run their supply chain. Very uh, tech first, if you will. So you can upload all of your designs and collaborate with your team. We also have an iOS app, so you can collaborate on the go. And then we have, you know, every capability you would need to do, you know, 3D sampling, actual physical sampling. We have about 20 manufacturers and we also handle all the inbound logistics. And so you can really just, you know, focus on the creative and like the physical products that you want to make. And then through our our platform and our network, get it made. Yeah, it's amazing. And like I was saying, it feels like such a relevant time to be speaking to you about this because I feel the topic of AI and everything like this is really taking off. And I was also saying that I f- I've seen your platform before and it's incredible and I'm really intrigued to learn more about it. But before we go into Kala and everything that you're doing, I want to know how did you get to this point in your career? Like, did you have a background in fashion or was it more tech? How did it all come about and how did you end up as the CEO and co-founder of such an amazing platform? Well, first, thank you. You know, it's never a, never a straight line journey. My journey started out uh, right after school. I worked for a pump manufacturing company called Grunfoss based out of Denmark. Incredible experience. Got to travel over the world and do, you know, projects like literally on the production line for six months and then other projects realigning the North American supply chain for raw materials coming into the manufacturing facilities in the U.S. And learned just a ton about manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, um, you know, everything sort of related with like creating physical things. I had about zero connection to the product. Uh, not a big pump guy, I guess. Um, but I knew that there's an opportunity to kind of take that knowledge and that experience and uh, apply it in perhaps a more interesting space. So first sort of step was actually working for a startup called Ship, which was like Uber for shipping. And I was the first employee there, I actually found them on AngelList and uh, moved into the uh, apartment in SF with the founders and just had a kind of a crazy San Francisco experience. We ended up raising $62 million in like 18 months and uh, when I left for about 300 people. And so just an incredible experience. And what was interesting about that was the initial concept was, you know, you take a photo of something with your phone and a courier comes and picks it up and uh, went back to one of our facilities, was professionally packaged and shipped anywhere in the world for you. And we found the lowest cost shipping option. Um, and it was kind of part of this era where, you know, all of a sudden mobile is a new platform. And, and so there's all kinds of great, you know, mobile first apps and ship was one of those. Um, interesting through the context of AI, which we'll get to, I think a little bit. And what we kind of quickly realized is that, you know, consumers don't ship that much but small businesses actually had a really big need around this. And so a ton of our early customers were you know, people that were running a business out of their home or office and were trying to ship things all over the world, but didn't have a full dedicated team to do packing and shipping. And so um, specifically, there were several boutiques in uh, San Francisco that were you know, using Shopify POS. And now instead of just selling to people that were walking through the door, they could sell to anyone all over the world. But then you have to figure out, all right, well, how do we handle, you know, international shipping to Australia and make sure that's a good customer experience. So ship was kind of like a mile wide and steep solution where you could sort of outsource a, a part of your value chain that maybe wasn't core to your skill set and, you know, have a great experience. 
that got the wheels sort of turning around that specific space and, and customer. And really just thinking about, you know, what technology has already done in the space where, you know, Shopify makes it really easy to have an online presence and transact online. TikTok, Instagram, make it easy to sort of, you know, market directly to a customer. You don't need a, a billboard in Times Square an hour or something like that. But when it comes to creating great physical products, it's an incredibly antiquated process. You you hire a $200,000 a year production manager who like has some backdoor relationship with a few factories and like you start scaling up your team. And it just felt like there's a sort of a missing piece of the puzzle where, you know, what if I'm a 15-year-old TikTok star and I'm going to launch the next Supreme, how would I expect to launch a brand? Is it having to fly to to, you know, Guangdong? Probably not. Is it having to do everything over email? Probably not. And so we really try to take kind of like a first principles and like, you know, tech first approach to solving the problem of how do I create a physical version of this idea I have in my head. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations on that. I think it's it's really one of those stories of a startup just going really well. And I think there is so many stories of that, like you said, with mobile first um, applications and how they really do solve a problem. And that's why they are so successful. So obviously now you have Kala, which is a fashion operating system. This is something within itself. And then you've most recently integrated your AI technology. So I want to know what this is, first of all, and then I want to know why have you done this? So I think first, it's important to understand kind of like the, the infrastructure of Kala. And yeah. so, you know, one side we have our customers and they have, you know, different accounts for everyone on their team. And then we have a network of ghost designers who can get bid jobs, you know, based on the needs for, for a designer. We have a network of 3D and technical designers that will get bid jobs um, as, as the next stage of the process. We have a network of suppliers, which I talked about. We have several QC, QA, quality control, quality assurance partners that'll actually go in the factories. Um, we have, you know, a great logistics provider and we have a whole network of fulfillment and 3PL warehouses. So we're, we're already kind of providing this technology, this platform that connects all of these different pieces together so that everyone can win and, and have, you know, more success. That will be the way that we always operate. And what's cool about that is as there's new technology that becomes available, whether it's like pure tech, like Dolly and, and sort of open AI's technology, or if it's actual material innovation, like new materials, like the Pangaea materials, or um, new processes, new prints, or you know, 3M printing, things like that. We can bring that online, and all of a sudden, it becomes available to everyone that's a Cala customer. And so it's a really cool opportunity for people who are developing this innovation, because instead of trying to sell into you know, each brand individually, they can partner with us, we can bring it on the platform, and now it's available to everyone. Going back to our customers, the benefits for our customers is that we're always kind of having the latest and greatest, really simple and easy to use through, through our platform. The kind of integration with Dolly 2 and the API, it really started about two years ago when GPT-3 first came out. And we did a hackathon project, um, which is basically, we take a day where nobody works on like normal work and we just work on crazy stuff that we think is fun and everyone kind of breaks into groups. So Dylan, my co-founder, who's our CTO, um, and actually he worked with me at Chip also, he created a little demo where you could use GPT-3 to design a, a garment. You could basically say a green shirt with uh, blue, something or another, and it would like write out like a more robust description of what this product was. 
And so he was kind of just like teasing the idea of like, what if one day you could design with words instead of sketches? Because if you think about it, like being an artist and being good at sketching, whether it's hand-drawn sketching or um, Adobe Illustrator sketching, that's limiting. And it really kind of, you know, it's, it's not a democratized experience. People who are good at sketching are going to be better at, you know, being designers because they can help get that you know, concept out of their head and on the paper and something they can share. We've been kind of paying attention to Dolly when it first came out. And obviously, you know, text to image was super interesting. And then this summer, we saw Dolly 2 come out. There's actually a tweet by um, Sam Altman, who's the, the CEO of OpenAI. And it was a photo of some shoes that he designed using Dolly 2. And he's like, oh man, I wish there's an easy way to actually produce these. And someone tagged Dylan in it. And next thing you know, we got connected with the OpenAI team. And they let us know that they're working on an API. And so what's cool about an API is basically you can take that core technology, or in this case, the model that they've been training on, you know, a billion images, and you can implement it into your product experience in a way that's very like natural and native to how you operate. So if you ever use Dolly 2 on the OpenAI website, just a big open text box, you type in some words and generate six images and comes back. We want to take a different approach. Because I think it's super important to Calib and really sort of our mission in general to like take technology, but abstract away all the complexity. So it's simple and easy to use specifically for sort of people in the fashion space that may, you know, typically not want to like open the terminal on their computer and, you know, clone a GitHub repo and, and kind of, you know, code or something like that. What we did was we basically built a user interface on top of Dolly 2. So the first thing you do is you basically choose the product type, and then you can put in adjectives to describe the garment itself, the color, the materials. And then you can put in other adjectives to describe you know, features and sort of different description elements. And then you still get wild here. You could say like Star Wars inspired you know, leather tunic or something like that. Like you can still you know, be as wild as you would. But what we're doing on the back end is we're taking all these inputs and then we're taking best practices when it comes to prompt engineering. And, and basically prompt engineering for people that haven't heard that before is this kind of like new space or new career path even, which is using words in specific orders to get the best possible result out of AI. Actually, I've seen people are now like getting hired as prompt engineers. Pausing on my previous thought just to talk about this for a second, what's super interesting here is that now all of a sudden there's no past education or, or knowledge on what prompt and engineering is. It's literally just people on Reddit just hammering on it and trying new things. And what's amazing is that that means that the opportunity is unbounded for anybody that wants to put in the time to play around this. What's crazy about with these models is that you can't go to GitHub and, and read how it works. You can't. It's, it's a neural net. And so you really have to kind of like, you know, try trial and error. Um, and I think that's what's really exciting about this is now people that maybe didn't go to school or didn't study this can kind of be an expert in the space just by you know putting in the time. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. I always think that's something that me doing this podcast, it's really a point that I want to hone into people is that with all these new technologies, it opens so many new career opportunities within fashion, like generative AI researcher, creative technologists, all these things. And what's so amazing about these career opportunities is exactly that there is no traditional route to do it. So 
it opens it up so much and it's being defined. And I think the way that you're saying it with this, and I think it's an important point for you to mention as well, because obviously there is this question with these kind of technologies. You can obviously see how it would take away jobs, but you've got to also see that it would bring new ones. Um, So I do want to ask you about that. So what would you say to people who would be fearing this technology? Because obviously it makes the workforce of a conventional fashion brand smaller in a way. I think it's one of those things where if we look at the iPhone coming out and mobile as kind of a reference of like, I would say after the internet, like that was the next big like platform that sort of changed the way that we work. Like you don't hail a cab anymore, you book an Uber or, you know, like there's all these interesting things that were now possible because you have this powerful device on your phone. And so people that look at it as a threat and try to kind of just double down on what they're already doing and try and preserve the world that they built, they're going to be in trouble. They're not going to be in trouble this year. They're not going to be in trouble next year. They might be screwed in five years. I think for anyone, and this is just a general life principle, but like for anyone that doesn't evolve and isn't trying new things, you're going to, your job's going to go away at some point. I think it's interesting to even see like Google, right? Like I think five years ago, Google was bulletproof. Everybody wanted to work there. There's no way that Google was ever not going to be a thing. And if you search in Google, it looks the same as it did 15 years ago. It's a bunch of blue links with some text underneath it, right? And so now all of a sudden, you know, Microsoft, chat, GPT, it's kind of completely changed the way that people think about search and just getting information. And so I think it's a good parallel that like you're never too big to where you're safe from the next innovation. And so I think specifically to your question and and going back to the prompt engineering a little bit, there's a whole new opportunity in the space for people who can articulate with words, uh, designs and leverage this technology. It's kind of like giving a really smart mathematician a calculator for the first time. What we're sort of seeing is designers, classically trained designers get better outcomes right out of the box than people that are not using Dolly, at least through our platform. And so what's interesting about that is it's like, it goes, it takes it almost like another level in your brain, which is like, okay, when you're coming up with a mood board or a concept, I think a lot of us are organizing that with words in our mind and then drawing a shirt with a pocket and a cool plaid pattern. And so just going from that and skipping the step of drawing it and typing it out, people who can be more expressive with words and know the specifics of the color alignment and you know the print placement and things like that are able to actually get really meaningful results. And so I think for a lot of designers that are either just well super talented designers are always going to be fine. You know, it's the creative ideas that is that is a, a differentiator. I think what's more interesting is for the people that are like maybe one tier down from that where they're great at executing but like the ideas maybe it takes them some time to get to the ideas. Well now all of a sudden you can riff on a thousand ideas in maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I think that's what's super interesting to kind of give, you know, more power to people that like maybe don't have the advantage initially. Yeah, it's so true. It is truly the only way that design, fashion design can be democratized in this way. And I think as well, it goes to a point as it's like if if you were to draw something now, it is the exact same process. In your mind, you're referencing different things you've seen, different words and then putting it down on paper. It is that. And because it can be sped up, it can possibly lead to just 
more exciting designs and more creativity in that way. And it is a natural evolution, just like having a calculator, things like this. So I think the way that you're explaining it is very digestible. And for me, it allows me to understand it better as well. When I was looking at one of your promotional videos of how this technology is actually used, it's incredible. It kind of it was the one where someone um, is going around. It was for it was for a specific brand. I wish I could remember the name, but now I can't. But they were going around. It was for a skateboarding brand, and they were going around the city taking pictures, oh, yeah. getting inspiration, putting in words. And I just thought that was such an amazing way to showcase what it does. Um, and I can really see how this would be used with a small designer or small business. But how do you see this technology being used for the bigger, more conventional brands who don't gain inspiration necessarily in that way? Yeah. So you're talking about uh, Tyreek from uh, Public Transportation, and uh, he's absolutely awesome based out of Atlanta. And what's interesting is, so we, we do work with some pretty large brands. And what we've kind of found is that the, the inspiration process can be similar. As a matter of fact, one of the brands we work with literally sends their design team on sort of like experiential trips to go get inspiration, whether it's going to Berlin and going clubbing or, you know, going to Miami and like, you know, walking on South Beach. One of the reasons we created the mobile app is to be able to capture that content in sort of its native environment and then quickly start iterating on it with your team, whether that team is, you know, in Europe or or US or wherever. And one of the cool things is that our Dolly integration actually works directly and, and beautifully through our app as well. So I was, I was showing some of you the other day, we were at a coffee shop and I, I could take a photo of the tile on the floor and then upload that to, to Cal, our app, use the Dolly variation mechanism. And it basically came back with all these super cool patterns that are like different than the tile, but the same sort of vibe, the same color scheme. So it was black and white. And those could very quickly become the base for a print on a fabric or the background of some sort of graphic that's going to be a print on the product um, or the inside lining of a backpack or a purse or something like that. It's really cool to kind of see how you know that can be applied, whether you're a really small brand or a really large brand. And one of the other things that's really interesting with large brands, you know, they're typically producing a lot more product. And so there's even more pressure on designers that work for those brands to like, quickly come up with a lot of different concepts and rifle through different opportunities. And that's where I think it can be a super powerful tool for those design teams where if all of a sudden, let's just say on a very low estimate, you can do three times as much ideation in the same amount of time and you have a large team, all of a sudden that team's like three times as efficient, um, which I think is awesome. If anything, it's more relevant for the big brands because they, yeah, it's exactly what you said. They have less time to be thinking and putting in a lot of time for these new designs and they also have to stick to a bit more of a structure of what they are designing because it's not like everything they design is always completely different so that's that's really good to know what I also love is that you can be using this on the go because if obviously if these designers go on their inspirational trip they'd be there getting inspiration maybe taking notes maybe taking photos but when you come back to look at that you may have lost it or what you're even trying to go for so being able to put in the words it's like this real-time feedback of your inspiration so it's pretty incredible but I wanted to go back because obviously Cala as a whole um as it focuses on 
the supply chain and everything like this. I wanted to know how this technology integrates into that bigger picture. So if you were using this AI and then you had your designs, how is that then actually translated into a product that's ordered and created and then sold? Which is the the hard part, right? Yeah. Um, no, actually, I think, I think they're equally as hard. Like coming up with a good idea. Um, and that was one other thing I wanted to say on the whole idea of like people getting replaced. At the end of the day, it comes down to taste and and sort of you know curation as well. So you can have a million different ideas in front of you, but to be able to choose the the one that's cool is a, is a superpower. Um, so let's say you choose a cool idea, and now it's time to make it real. This is where Calo really shines. Firstly, you can upload uh, or you can take that exact you know the design that you generated on your mobile app. You can add in some additional comments right in the context of that image. So maybe you add a comment about the shoulder drop. And then in the material section, you can add, you know, either a photo or you could say like, oh, I love, you know, this Supreme hoodie, but I want it to be like a little bit lighter weight. And, and uh, you could say the Supreme hoodie is at, you know, 400 GSM, maybe I'm looking for 350. And I want a recycled cotton um, versus, you know, just sort of like a, you know, traditional. And then you could upload a sort of photorealistic logo or vector files uh, AI, PDF, SVG, kind of whatever you have. You upload that. You can do that from your files on your phone or just drag and drop from your desktop. Once you put in those details, you press the get pricing button. And within 24 hours, we'll come back to you with the total landed cost. And what total landed means is basically everything. So this is like the only amount of money that you're going to pay to get these products either to you physically to your fulfillment center, to your retail store, or to our fulfillment centers if you're going to use our fulfillment solution. So the beauty of this is we take into account things like, you know, the technical design, the shipping of samples back and forth, 3D design, um, all of the material sourcing, like everything that could be a cost center for a large brand or a small brand, that all comes back in that price within 24 hours. And once that price comes back, you can see how much it costs at one unit, and you can see how much it costs at 10 million and everything in between. And actually, you can go beyond 10 million if you want. So we basically have built our own pricing algorithm. And so it has over 4 million inputs on like product type, product complexity, the material type, um, the time of year. We also take into consideration where the product's being landed so that we can do a door-to-door duty calculation as well. So we can look at, you know, in some cases, if you're making a 300 units of a heavyweight t-shirt and you're landing it in Germany maybe makes sense to, to make it in Portugal and put it on a truck. But if you're doing 3,000 units, maybe it makes more sense to make it in China and put it on a train. Or maybe it makes sense to make it in Bangladesh and put it on a boat. So based on the real-time uh, shipping and logistics data, as well as all the real-time duties, taxes, and tariffs and fees, we're basically able to come back to you and say, all right, at 300 units, it's going to be $24.42 total in a cost. And if that sounds good, you can move forward. And then it goes into the step-by-step process of turning it into a real real thing. Wow. It really just shows the power of data to revolutionize different industries. And But obviously, the fashion supply chain is known for being not data-driven and not forward-thinking and nothing like the efficiency of what you're talking about and what you're offering. So how can... Kala and this technology be revolutionary for the industry? What is the main, for the fashion industry, what is the main impact do you think it will have? So for the customer, 
there's always two questions, how much and how long? And so that's one of the first things we prioritize building is like, how do we give you the answer to that as immediately as possible? And then of course, guaranteeing the quality is going to be exactly what you specify. And so anything you check out with on Cala, guaranteed that it meets your, your quality standards. But you have to create two-sided value if you want to get real change. So if we create this value for the customers, but there's nothing in it for the suppliers, then it would kind of fall flat. So what we do to make it a really great experience for suppliers is we first bid every project to technical designer that also does 3D that specializes in that product type. So there's another level of leverage you get here as a brand, both big and small. Let's say that you're doing outerwear for the first time. You're going to have your style bid to a technical designer that's specialized in outerwear. Maybe they used to work at the North Face or um, you know Patagonia or something like that. So they're going to come in. They're going to work with you. They're going to ping you for different reviews on different elements. Maybe it's the fabric and really dig into the specification and the technical elements of it. Maybe it's the fit. Maybe it's the placement. At this point, no factory has ever seen this. No one knows this. This is just a concept between you and this technical designer. So once you go through... You prove all the different elements of the technical design, including grading. You'll see a full 3D render in Cala, both on your phone and in the platform. And so then you can see everything in the 3D space and you can really understand like, ah, you know, actually we need to scale the print down like 10%. That's a little too in your face. Once that's approved and there's actually a corresponding pattern, of course, at that point, then it gets bid to the factory. So from a factory's perspective, you know, we're basically sending them a guaranteed bid for a guaranteed number of units and a guaranteed price. And they're guaranteed that they're gonna get paid. So for a factory, it's super easy. They look at a bid, they can see the pattern, then they can see the materials. Everything's in the exact same format, whether it's you know any of the 50 different brands that we work with. The factory can quickly say, yes, I accept the bid, or no, I reject the bid because the price is too low, the timeline's too tight, or it's missing technical details. So basically what we've done is we've taken this sort of like two to four week process of quoting back and forth with a factory and we turn it into like an instant 24 hours basically. So the factory now, they know what they're getting into. They don't have an issue with the, the designer trying to change things last minute, things that are really frustrating in the production process. We've kind of removed all of that. We handle all the account management. The factory can just focus on what they're doing best, which is you know making the fabric, making the products, shipping them to where they need to go. It's incredible you mentioned this because it literally addresses one of the most historical issues or problems that people face in fashion or the industry faces with the technical specifications and the factories because because there's something that is made everyone has a slight different way of they make of how they're making them it's all very human error driven and then they give it to the factories and then they create something that it isn't how the designer wanted it and all this and this back and forth is this old like archaic way of working and it causes all these issues and for you to come in and give it some sort of standardization and also efficiency is extremely revolutionary. But I wanted to know if you're working with this technology as well, how do you avoid things like duplicates or the issue of if the AI is scanning the internet, what if it picks up an independent designer's work? How do you avoid things like this? Firstly, what's interesting about Dolly specifically is while it's trained on basically every image on the internet, everything that it generates is a net new image that's never existed before. And so what's cool about that is one, 
by using the technology through Kala, you get the rights, the full rights to that image. That image is now yours. Two, it'll never be something like it'll never generate something that's already existed before. So there's kind of built-in protections from from that perspective. When it comes to actually like duplicating a specific design, that's more of a sort of terms and conditions thing, where basically as a designer, when you accept our terms and conditions for using our platform, you're certifying that you have the rights to use whatever you're uploading. So it includes, you know, logo marks, it includes, um, you know, anything basically. Beyond that, of course, we also have our internal team that's reviewing it. We have a technical designer that's reviewing it. And then as a final stop, we have a, the factory that's going to accept or reject the bid. The factory is also very sensitive to getting sued. And so, um, you know, if there's something that's like very clear, it'll get rejected during the pricing stage where um, they'll basically say, hey, you're trying to make something that like you don't have the rights to use. Or just if you do have the rights, please upload that and then we'll keep it moving. Um, so there's kind of like three, I guess, four different stage gates to kind of prevent that. But there are references, you know, people from Balenciaga to Virgil to everyone uses reference images and mood boards and things like that. Um, and so, you know, that's still a way that people use the platform where they'll upload a mood board, have a bunch of different reference, reference images, but then the actual, you know, physical product that is the result of that is something that's unique. You're one of the first companies to adopt this specific API. Why have you been so quick to adopt it? And do you think it will be something that is eventually mass adopted by the fashion industry? So what was interesting for us is, one, it's a nice API. So it's easy for us to to implement in our existing software. The other piece is that OpenAI cares very much about developing AI for the betterment and the agency or and for human agency. So the betterment of humankind. And part of that is a lot of train like what they do in the training process to make sure that there are protections. So for instance, faces get scrambled, um, logos and text is scrambled as well at this point. And so, you know, they and then also it's very uh there's protections in to kind of prevent the generation of like harmful images, um, which is also really important. And so um, those were kind of the reasons why we chose that is we didn't want to be having to like set up our own sort of content monitoring moderation on top of this. We want to kind of be able to rely on a partner to, to do that. Um, when it comes to the mass adoption of the industry, absolutely. Like I think going back to the kind of the parallel, and I think mobile is probably the closest parallel that at least like I remember. It's kind of like if you saw someone that like, didn't have a smartphone today, right? It'd be like, wait, wait, what? Like you, you've completely missed. And of course there'll be that sort of like niche audience of people. They're like, yeah, I just use a flip phone. Like that's my vibe. Great. And I think that we'll see a niche sort of like super artisan type designers that that's their whole shtick is like, oh, this is completely manually done. Great. Your stuff's going to cost 500 bucks a unit, but it's fine. Then the, the way that it's actually adopted, I think is going to be super interesting because the actual training of the neural nets is super comprehensive or comp- computationally um, expensive and also requires like huge scale. So OpenAI, for instance, just raised $10 billion from Microsoft. And um, Microsoft built a computer specifically for OpenAI to do training that is the fifth most powerful computer in the world by processing power. And it's specifically designed for for basically taking these 
data sets and, and training them. So there is a bit of like a, a scale advantage. And so, you know, there's people like Google that also have these massive neural nets and training. Um, Facebook and, and sort of Meta is, is another one. So what I'm sort of foreseeing as the mass adoption, like absolutely every single brand will, and, and every single company will be tapping into AI in the not too distant future, just like everyone has a smartphone today. Where I think it's going to be super interesting is companies like Cala, and I'm sure there'll be a ton of other ones where they basically tap into the scale of these sort of massive neural nets that have been built by OpenAI or Google or, or Meta, or there'll probably be tons of other companies, but then enables you to sort of train it on your own data or like builds it through an interface that's super easy to use for a very specific purpose. And I think that's where it starts to be super interesting through the lens of the fashion industry is like, oh, how can we create the Dior neural net where maybe you go to Dior's website, you know, as Grace, and what you see are on-demand design products specifically for you based on what they know about you. And maybe, you know, scraping your social media or whatever, still with the vibe of that collection and the color palette of that collection and the branding of Dior, but things that are specifically designed for you, Grace. Um, that is going to require innovation on the manufacturing side, of course, because you can't build inventory for you know infinity assortment. Um, but that's sort of where I see things going long-term for existing players. And then I think there's going to be a whole new realm of new brands that pop up that are sort of one to two person teams that are AI designed brands and you know, tap into supply chains like Cala to kind of run that full sort of like back office portion and just focus on creating like hit designs that, you know, cater to a specific customer. Wow. That's so cool. I think an on-demand fashion world is kind of my dream. I think that would be just so cool. And then it seems so crazy to think you could go on like a huge brand's website and have a curated assortment specifically for you. But then it's also not that crazy because every brand's obsessed with hyper-personalization and also it's a sustainable thing as well. That's why I'm interested in on-demand. And that's why I also wanted to ask you, what is the sustainable benefit of all of this? Because obviously there is a huge one because the fashion supply chain isn't sustainable and that's the main issue with it. But this kind of technology has sustainable benefits. So how would you explain this as well? There's kind of three elements some now and some that are coming later that we're, we're making an impact on sustainability. So firstly, we enable brands to only produce what they can actually think that they can sell. So um, there's no minimums on our platform. You know, pricing obviously scales with the number of units, but it's not like you have to make 300 to make one of something. Um, and a lot of times, especially for new brands, they get connected to a factory. Factory has 300 MOQ or 500 MOQ. And so that's what they have to make if they want to make any product. Leads to a ton of waste. The second is, and this is perhaps even like the most interesting right now, is the ability to like have us take care of sourcing any type of sustainable material that you want to use. So, you know, historically you have to go to Premier Vision or like, I don't know, try to, you know, just look at other brands of what they're using to try and figure it out. Um, now you can just articulate that in the material section on a design. And the, the team will basically come back with options that meet those requirements, whether it's upcycled, recycled, um, organic, any, anything that you can kind of articulate 
then the the team can can go and source that for you. And that's included in the price that you see. So, you know, those are kind of two elements that make it easier for people to operate more sustainably, but like it's not difficult. It doesn't cost more. Like obviously it's going to cost more relative to like using standard cotton or, or whatever, but like it doesn't cost you as a team more. It's just how Cala works. And I think that's what's super important with sustainability is like, if you want to make it the default, it can't be more expensive and it can't be harder to do. And so we really focused on like, how do we make it as easy as possible to default to a more sustainable way of operating? And then I think the biggest impact we make is propelling the industry towards this sort of AI powered infinite assortment on design with on-demand production. So if you look at the history of fashion, let's start maybe with H&M. You know, the first brand that really did this sort of like mass assortment and made tons of styles and it's available in all these different countries, all these different locations, quote unquote, fast fashion, if you will. But their supply chain is actually not that fast. It's, you know, it's still a year long in some cases. And then you have Zara that came along and they're like, our innovation is speed. We're doing even more products. We're doing inventory turns every month. The supply chain's a month long and there's even more options. And then you have like Boohoo, which is like every two weeks. And now you have Shein, which is like 5,000 new styles a week. And so like, if you can kind of, if you follow the curve to the extreme, it goes to an infinite assortment. However, you know, Shein, the way that they've executed what they're doing now is they only make 300 units of every style. And then based on how well it sells, they'll quickly reorder in 300 unit batches. And so their entire supply chain is optimized for these small 300 unit runs, which enables them to do it in a somewhat sustainable and, and affordable way. There's still, if you're doing 5,000 units a month and 50% are not a hit, then you have 300 units of you know 2,500 things, which is not great, but it's better than if you're making 10,000 of each because you're factoring at that minimum. So you know, one thing that's clear is that consumers are buying into newness. Like that's why Tamu is doing, you know, Super Bowl commercials and then Shein is worth, you know, 60 billion or whatever. So that consumers not going to change. People are going to tap into AI to make an infinite assortment. So the only way to execute and, and, and win, and basically you always have to follow the money. The only way to win will be to actually make it on demand. So I'm actually like, I'm short-term pessimistic about the industry's sustainability, but I'm long, long-term very optimistic because it's the only way to profitably do it. Um, yeah. And so we want to, you know, it, it would be very easy for this to be just like one brand, like a Shein that develops a solution. And what we're hoping that we can do as Cala is by doing as a platform, we make it accessible for everyone to operate in what we think is going to be the new model. Yeah. I would tend to agree with you about the short-term unsustainable and long-term hopefully more sustainable and I'm glad that I know that about um Shien and also yeah like how you said how you want it to be for every brand it's I think what you're doing is just incredible that you have tackled this industry issue of the supply chain and everything that goes into it and I think it's incredible I think it's incredible and yeah I it's just amazing <laughs> so as a closing question, I really appreciate that uh, it's true it's it's insane but what is the future of fashion in your opinion yeah I mean I, I kind of was getting into it just now but I think it will be what we kind of call infinite assortment like I mentioned where you know everything every person has things that are specifically designed for them which is amazing in, in a lot of ways. 
Um, and you still will buy from brands, but maybe those brands are people. Maybe they're also companies or you know different things that you're inspired by. And there'll be on-demand production local to the customer. So I think Amazon's probably an interesting parallel here where basically Amazon has a you know fulfillment center that's 30 minutes away from everyone in the US. So you can get same day delivery and you can get you know these things. And so you can I can kind of imagine a world where I'm a brand, I you know use AI to kind of create this collection ethos and, and color scheme and things like that. You Grace are in Netherlands, you go to uh, my website, you find a, a dress that you think is incredible, you buy it, and then it's made in the Rotterdam facility and sent to you on the, you know, uh, maybe hopefully an electric vehicle truck or something like that. So, you know, the, this idea to like, in some ways, taking inspiration from, you know, what they would call in technology, like a content delivery network, where basically if you watch a Netflix show, it's probably being served to you from a local data center that's, you know, nearby where you are. Um, and so a similar idea here from a manufacturing perspective, but like if you can create this on-demand production capability to actually then also not produce it on demand somewhere on the other side of the world, but actually produce it close to the customer. Um, and then I think there's a really cool sort of like circular capability element of it where it's like, okay. And then once this product's gone through its meaningful life, you know, you either resell or it goes kind of back into the system as raw materials and gets broken down to something that it can be, can, you know, become something new in the future. So I think that's coming. And then I think, uh, you know, there's some initial interesting like wearable type stuff, but I think probably in the next 10 years, it'll be kind of a default where it's like everything that you wear is also monitoring your heart rate and, and kind of like, you know, intelligent um, and, and actually having that sort of like those intelligent fibers just kind of like woven or knitted into the product. Uh, which I think would be really cool to see what people do as that as a platform as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, I cannot wait to see. Notice I didn't say NFTs. <laughs> Thank you so much. Where can brands or designers learn more about Kala and what you're offering? So you can learn more about Kala at ca.la. There's no .com there, just ca.la. And uh, that's our website. Uh, you can also download our app in the App Store. Um, it's Kala. Um, if you want a direct link, it's Kala.app, C-A-L-A dot A-P-P. And you can find us on Instagram at this is Kala or uh, Twitter at this is Kala, spelled out. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.